The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes, taking a long look at life under the sun. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord. From the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, verse 7, through chapter 12, verse 8. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life or vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of a song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desires fail because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go out about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel of the bo- broken or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sacred City. Let's try it again. I know some of you guys are sitting down. Good morning, Sacred City. It is good to be here with you all in the house. Well, I'd like to say it's good to be back here at Sacred City. I, I appreciate this church. I'm so thankful for this church. And I first want to give honor, though, to God, who's the head of my life. He's the head of this church and the head of all those who call Jesus Lord and Savior. Amen. I also want to give thanks to your pastor, Pastor Justin Dean. He's my friend too, my brother in the ministry. Uh, I love getting on the phone with this guy or even if if it's through text message, just being able to talk with him about different things that are going on in society and what God's doing here and through Sacred City. I was telling the team this morning, it's, it's cool to think that years ago there was no church here and now there is a church. It means God is up to something here. So it's awesome to see people here and there. And then I came back and last time you guys didn't have the screens on the wall. This is cool. It's screens on the wall now. There's a church in Moline. God is doing something amazing here at this church. And I just want to say thank you for all of you guys that have served and kept this church going. But I also want to give thanks to your pastor. He's an, an awesome guy. Y'all have been gifted with an awesome man of God who had a vision and God has used him in a mightiful way here at this church to, to see Sacred City come to where it is now. I mean, I don't think pastors get appreciated enough. And Justin can't say this because he, he's, he's your pastor. But I'll say it too for him. I think it's we don't get appreciated enough it's a very hard job and and at the end of the day people aren't thinking about praying for the pastor and and how he's doing so I'm thankful that you guys gave him a month off but right now if you would with me can you just put your hands together if you just love your pastor come on 
going to tell y'all already, I'm kind of, I'm black. You see that? <laughs> no, yeah, I, yeah, I'm black, right? I look a little different than your pastor, right? So that means as I'm preaching today, as I'm talking, I enjoy when people talk back to me. That means if something stirs in your spirit a bit, I mean, you just can't help it. Don't just stare at me and take some good notes. That's how my white brothers and sisters do that. That's your amen. Just copious notes. Say amen to me. It's all good. I promise it will help me and make me go a little bit faster this morning. So that's, that's, that's your opportunity right there. I'm letting you know that you can talk to me this morning as I'm, as I'm preaching. Amen. There we go. There we go. Amen. Uh, I, I didn't come alone this morning. I brought my two daughters, my wife and I. We've been married for 10 years, been together 14 years. We have five children. I did not stutter. Five. Five children, four of which are girls. And we just had our little man, Derek III, uh, about three months ago. Here's a, a picture of them. So if you see my two oldest walking around, they're, having, they're high on life right now, getting to hang out with daddy and just doing all kind of things in the hotel. So thank you guys for having us here, and, and you'll see them later. But um, I'm looking forward to getting this word with you all this morning. I've been studying, and I've been listening, and seeing that God's been doing a work here at this church through the book of Ecclesiastes. Have you guys been enjoying this this road through Ecclesiastes? Yeah. Some of y'all didn't say yeah, so <laughs> maybe it's been messing with you a bit, but we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes today, as you just heard the word read in chapter 11, uh, verse 7 through chapter 12, verse 8. As Ben said earlier, I come from a church called Renewal Church of Chicago. We planted this church about four years ago. Uh, we're a multi-ethnic church in the city of Chicago, Center City. We're right around the United Center. And we went there about four years ago saying we, we had this big vision of seeing a, a city that's divided on across racial lines and socioeconomic lines and said, man, it's it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can bring brothers and sisters together and keep a lasting, a, a long time, a, a change for eternity. It's, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and sadly, it hasn't been happening in that city other than going to the United Center and watching a basketball game together or Disney on ice. People don't care what you look like. They just cheer for what's happening on the floor. But if they can do it, why can't the church? So we came to Chicago with that big vision four years ago, and God has been blowing our minds with what he's doing in, in our church. So if you're ever in the city of Chicago, come on out and visit us. If you're in there during the week, you can hit me up. I got four daughters, remember. That means I'm ready to get in and out the house when y'all call me, okay? So, so just hit me up and, and we'll, we'll hang out a bit. But thank you guys for having me here today. We're going to be again in chapter 11. Today I'm going to preach on the topic of vanity. Everyone say vanity. 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 But before we go any further, would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your church. I thank you for your word, Lord, um, which is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce to the heart of the enemy at the same time, mold and shape ours, God. So, Lord, I just pray that as we venture through your word, that you would decrease me, Lord, so that you may increase in this place, that people would hear your word and not me. Hide me behind your cross, my Lord. We love you. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together. Amen. Amen. Well, there was this clip some years back of Tom Brady. Everybody know who Tom Brady is? 
Tom Brady, arguably one of the best quarterbacks of all time. I call him Mr. Clutch because he may not do so well in the season, but when it gets to playoff time, my man shows up. Tom Brady, it was this clip about him several years back where he was interviewed after winning his third Super Bowl. And he's interviewed and they're asking him, how do you feel now? And he's saying, man, I feel great about everything. I won my third Super Bowl ring and, and um, I've signed a new contract, just got married. But then he says, but I feel like there has to be more to life than this. Now, let me rewind. I just said that he won not his first, his second but his third Super Bowl ring. He just signed a $60 million contract. Married Giselle, can't say her last name, but married her, <laughs> supermodel. Yet, th this man has everything he could ever dream of and says, there has to be more to life than this. There has to be more, friends, you know how Someone like Tom Brady, a man that has everything he could ever dream of, could say something like this. It's because inside of us, inside of him, there's this God-shaped void exists in all of us that we spend our whole lives trying to satisfy and fill with other things. But at the end of the day, the only one that will truly satisfy this void is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the reason there's no amount of money that will satisfy. There, there's no perfect marriage, man or woman. There's no perfect job. There's no perfect children. The only one that makes our hearts truly satisfied, leaves us truly fulfilled at the end of the day, is Jesus. And you may have walked in here and you're saying, you're hearing me say this and say, I know we're in church, but I don't necessarily believe that. I've worked hard for what I have. I don't know if I could truly say at the end of the day, I may believe it, but, but, but I don't know if I really believe it. And I could truly say that I'm only satisfied by Jesus. And you know why we could think something like that? Because we haven't got to the point of knowing that, that, that we can gain the whole world. We can get everything we ever wanted, but at the end of the day, still leave our souls starving still leave our souls starving. Hear me, family. Our flesh, it seeks temporary satisfaction. But our souls long for its creator. Which means that we long for God. And if we're not truly satisfied with him and we're longing for something throughout our life, what's going to happen is we're going to lead this lifelong search for something more, for satisfaction, unless we're able to stop and say, Jesus, I need you. But maybe you're saying, well, I'm not sure about that either. Well, as we walk through this passage today, we get introduced to a man named Solomon. As you guys have been walking through and seeing him right throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. He, at the end of his life, here nearing this end of the book, he, he, he's not saying, I wish I had more. He's not saying, I wish I had done more. No, no. He's saying, I had everything and it's all vanity. It's nothing compared to knowing God. And I have to ask you that question this morning. Could you say that, that, that knowing God, 
outside of knowing God and my kids, my marriage, my job, my family, my house, my car, everything I have, it's nothing compared to knowing him. Could, could you honestly say that? That's the question I want you to ponder. I want you to meditate on that question as we walk through this passage today, okay? All right? Now, as we get into this passage today, we, we have to remember a little bit of the context and the writer and the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. As, as you have learned in past weeks, this book was written by King Solomon. King Solomon, who's arguably the wisest man to ever walk this earth next to Jesus. He's also the richest man, as Pastor Justin let you guys know several weeks ago. He, he was not a multi-millionaire. He wasn't a multi-billionaire. He was a multi-trillionaire. Trillionaire. I don't know a trillionaire. Maybe you don't do, but, but multi-trillionaire. This is Solomon writing this. He had everything anybody could ever want. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a thousand women. Some of y'all go crazy about what Will Chamberlain had with a hundred women and he had nothing on, on Solomon. A thousand. But that also led to his demise. Solomon was the writer of much of the wisdom literature. You have the book of Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. And it's important to know that King Solomon did all of these things and what he did because he writes in this book in our passage today, after doing all of those things and having everything most people could ever dream of, he says at the end of the day, it's all vanity. Which brings us to the theme of this book. The theme of this book is the necessity of fearing God in a fallen, confusing, and frustrating world. It's the necessity of fearing God in a falling, confusing, and frustrating world. He says in verse, or chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, he speaks to this. He, look at it with me. He says this. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Now, with that being said, and, and looking at the theme of Ecclesiastes, I, I think the problem with this theme is that people get Solomon's message misconstrued. We get it mixed up and we, we, all we hear when we think about the book of Ecclesiastes, a lot of times we just think of vanity. Oh, this world means nothing. It's down and out. It's sad. Everything about it. I, I shouldn't strive for anything. But when you read it, I think we get it misconstrued because he, he, here's the point. The truth is that it's not all vanity as if it's no hope. It's vanity in the sense of don't just live for what happens here in this life. There's a big difference between that. This is very important to note because we live in a society that values carpe diem. Values YOLO. That's the new term. You only live once. It means that you live for the moment. Live every second, every hour of the day for the moment. Live it to the full. And the problem is, it's not that you shouldn't live it to the full. The problem is that we do this at the expense of everybody else in our lives. We do this. We hop over the other individual in front of us. We don't care about what we're doing to them. It, it could be our family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors. We, we don't care. We just step over them because we have to get to what we want. Because all that matters is what I have in life. What's, what's for me? You only live once. I might as well live it up. 
You see, and, and I love this passage because if we look closely to it, it and we keep it in the context of who's writing it and the theme of it, Solomon, he, he, and all that he had, he's basically saying, yeah, yeah, live it all up. Go ahead and do it. Make the most of every day. But in verse 12, he says, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Now, if we pay attention to the text, again, this is not like the book of Ephesians or other Pauline letters in the New Testament where you can read it and you can read verse by verse and the preceding verse speaks to the verse after it, all of that. It, it, that's not wisdom literature. And this is important to know as you're reading. If you're reading the book of Proverbs and you're trying to discern the other verse after it, it doesn't always work like that. Sometimes that verse doesn't coincide or go with the verse above it or after it. Sometimes they're totally independent. But in this passage, when you're reading it, Solomon, it is one theme that he's really speaking to in the passage that we talked about today, which is the fact that it is, is to, to live your life, enjoy the days of your life, but in all you do, remember that it's all vanity here. And number one, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Now, what does this mean? Simply put, be wise. Be wise. Don't make this life the end all be all. This is not all there is. In other words, as you live your life, be careful not to forget who's important. Because basically, don't forget who made you. So live to honor him. See, what, what's happening in this passage is that Solomon is an old man. He's believed to be an older man, and he's reflecting back on his life and, he, and all that he had. And he's saying it's all vanity, if not lived in the proper moral boundaries that God has set up, that God calls his people to live in. And this is seen right off the back if you look at verses 7 through 8. Because Solomon uses the words light and dark. Look at it with me. You see those words light and dark? Now, the words light and dark are used as words to describe life and death. Don't miss this. He says, light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. See, again... What he's saying is that the pleasures of this world and what it has to offer, they are sweet. They're sweet, but don't make them the end-all be-all. There's many things to do. There's many things to take advantage of. In other words, he's saying, he's, he's kind of letting you know that, that God, and I need y'all to hear me with this, God didn't put you just on this earth so you can suffer. He didn't put you here so you could just suffer. But instead, he wants you to enjoy your life here too. Y'all don't believe me. John 10.10 10 says it this way. The thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I want you to have life. That's not just eternally. He wants you to have life now and not yet. That's here on earth as well as in heaven. And see, I got to say this because a lot of us that are Christians or people, period, we walk around in this morbid, pessimistic kind of reality where, where there, we don't look forward to anything. We always expect the worst in life. Uh, and things are never good. And, and there's no fun or freedom in that. You never feel any freedom or fun in life. I bet if I asked you all this question, if you're a Christian in here, how would you describe the Christian walk? Most of us would never say fun or freedom. We wouldn't. 
That, that's not what we would describe the Christian walk as. We, we think of our lives as the, the old ball and chain. Just pull it along with us. It's going with us. We wake up one day, we do the same thing over, and then, then we wake up the next day, we do the same thing over. It's like a robot with one program. You're over and over doing the same thing. But let me ask you, how do you enjoy yourself? What, what spurs your affections? What, what makes you happy? What, what, how do you enjoy life? Or, or maybe you're not that person. Maybe you're not the person that's kind of robotic and does the same thing over. Maybe you feel this sense of burden to make things happen. And you have to climb the ladder of success. You got to be all you can be. You got to be successful at all costs. And you're driven by this, which doesn't allow you to just stop and, and smell the so-called roses around you. Let me ask you, what happens when you don't get that job that you work so hard for? How do you feel? What happens when you don't get that relationship it doesn't work out the way you thought it should, and you work so hard for it. How do you feel then? Or, or maybe that's not you either. Maybe you're the one that's trapped in your mind, in your past, and everything you do is driven by you being in control. You, you, don't, you, you, you want everything to stay the same. Not too much of this, not too little of that. Your mentality is as long as the, the lights are on and there's a little bit of money in the bank, I'm good. But let me ask you, what happens when you forget to pay that light bill on time? How do you feel? What happens when your bank account goes a little bit too low? How do you feel then? Friends, hear me. None of those situations, none of those realities are freeing, fun, or Christian. See, family, don't miss this. The freeing part, I don't want you to miss this. The freeing part of the Christian walk is that you don't have to be in control of every move you make or every step you make or what might happen to you next because God is sovereign. And as I read the word of God, he says he will never leave us or forsake us if we believe. So, so you can rest assuredly in, in freedom, knowing that your father, heavenly father, has all things in his hands. Y'all missed it. And on the other hand, the Christian walk is, both, is also fun. It's fun because you can literally live without worry like a little child. Like a little child because your heavenly father has got the whole world in his hands. Y'all remember the song, he's got the whole world in his hands, sing with me. He's got the whole world in his hands, he's got mama and daddy in his hands, he's got the whole... If y'all don't know that song, you got to check out a little black church on the, some side of town out here. Y'all got to go to Sunday school. He's got the whole world in his hands. He does. You see, the truth of the matter is, though, but hear me with this, that does not mean you won't have problems. Does not mean you won't have problems, but you can rest assuredly living in freedom, having fun in life, knowing that your father has got you in his hands. He's got you in his hands. Which lends to where we're going in this passage, because I don't want you to get twisted what I'm saying. Don't get it twisted. That does not mean just do whatever you want in life. That doesn't mean, that's not what I'm trying to say here. That's not what Solomon's saying. 
Family Solomon is saying yes. Saying have fun in life and enjoy it. Don't be plagued by what's going to happen tomorrow, what might happen next, and having everything under your control and in your hands. Have fun and live it up. But hear me, do so with death and eternity in mind because eternity far outweighs this life and what it has to offer. Be mindful. In other words, don't live as if you haven't been created to glorify your creator. Or as Jesus says in John 10, 10, we just read that verse. He says, I came to bring them life. You remember who's speaking when he says this verse? This is Jesus saying this. So when he says, I came to give them life, that life that he's talking about is found nowhere else but in Jesus. It's not found in anything else. He's saying, I came to bring them life. So it's only found through belief in Jesus. See, some of y'all not amen, and I know I'm not, I might not be in your neighborhood yet. I might not be in your backyard, but we'll be there soon. So y'all stick with me, okay? Stick with me. Because he moves on to verse 9, and he reminds the reader to enjoy this life. But remember the Lord will bring all things into judgment. This is what he says. Now hear me. I don't believe Solomon says this to necessarily scare the reader. That's not the point of this part. Because that doesn't cause one to live in freedom. That doesn't cause one to enjoy the Lord if you're always thinking about judgment, if you're thinking about punishment all the time. But instead, what it does is it makes someone learn how to perform. It makes you learn how to pretend or perform to be a Christian. And God did not save you to learn how to perform for him. He didn't save you so you can learn how to pretend for him. That, that's not the point of God saving us. Now, let, let me break this down because living for God, I don't want y'all to miss this. Living for God with the understanding of judgment coming does not mean perform. It does not mean just do the right thing and try to make it out here. That doesn't create life change. That creates a legalistic person who just follows laws and performs to get what they want. I don't know if y'all heard me on that. You might have missed this. Let me put it this way. How many of y'all have kids in here? All right. It's kind of like disciplining your six-year-old without giving them any understanding. This is what it's like to live with just judgment in mind and performing. If you just discipline your six-year-old without giving them any understanding, what they're going to do is learn how to perform so they don't get in trouble. But if they understand that mommy and daddy love them and we shouldn't do that and this is why we shouldn't do that, this, and, and if they remember from last time, I got disciplined when I did the wrong thing and I know mommy and daddy love me. Now with that understanding, they won't do what they were about to do, not because they don't want to, they want to perform, but, but instead out of fear and reverence for their parents because they know their parents love them. There's a big difference between the two. That's not performance. That's driven out of love and reverence and, and honor and respect. There's a big difference there. You see the difference? You see, and see what, what's happening here is that Solomon's saying, yeah, yeah, live your life to the full. But proper enjoyment is only truly found within the boundaries established by God. Now, how do we know these boundaries established by God? It's by reading and soaking up the word on a daily basis. It's by walking through the scriptures. It's by living in community. When you read these scriptures, do y'all see any gray in this Bible? It's all black and white. Which means that he, he laid it out pretty clear for us. We don't have to add too much there. We don't have to try to discern too much. It's right there. 
it's by reading and soaking up this word and constantly staying in him. That's how we know how to live life to the full. That's how we know how to live truly how he's designed it for us. Again, this isn't legalistic, but it's freeing for the Christian. It's freeing for the Christian because God isn't staring down at you and looking at your mishaps and your mess ups and saying, I'm not pleased. Because if you believe, he's looking down and he's seeing the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, draped over you. And he doesn't say, I'm not pleased with that person. But instead, he's looking at you and he's saying, my son, I'm well pleased. He's saying, my daughter, I'm well pleased because of Jesus. See, it's that motivation that the Christian lives their life from. It's that motivation that keeps us going on. It's not the awards we can win. It's, it's not the success we can have. It's not the money or the significance. No, no, it's that motivation. It's instead that God has been so good to us. That's what lends us to living lives that truly glorify him. Solomon goes on in this passage and he keeps going in verse 10. I love this part because he says all those pains you have. Some of us have aches and pains. And he says ailments and any vexation or frustration you may be experiencing in this life. Put away from your body. He's not saying you won't have issues. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying you won't have problems, back pains or anything like that. But instead, don't dwell on them too much. And here, here's the thing. We all know people that complain a whole lot. Every week, they come in with a new sickness. Last week, it was my neck. This week, it's my back. Halfway through the next week, it's my neck and my back. The next week, you see them on a rerun of the commercial. Help, I can't get up. We all know people that complain. It's always talking, and he's not saying you won't have problems. He's saying don't let your problems run your life. Don't let them run your life. If you have problems, yeah, yeah, go take care of them. Go see a doctor. But, but here's the truth he's trying to say. He's trying to say even your problems, the things you're going through, all of those things that happen to you are vanity. Compared to what the believer is awaiting them in heaven, it's all vanity. He's saying don't let it run your life. Not even your problems. Solomon further leans into the acknowledgement of the Lord in chapter 12. Because the next eight verses focus on when someone's dying or when he's dying right now, he's aging and he's saying, what's, what's really starting to come into focus? What happens when you, you're at this place where you're, you're dying? Now, now things start to come into focus a little different. This is what Solomon's saying. He says, we see this, we see this in this passage right here in, in chapter 12 because he uses those metaphors again of light and dark. Y'all remember what light and dark is? It's, it's, it's life and, and death. He's using those same metaphors. And he says, before the moon and the stars and the sun become darkened, he's talking about death. And what he's saying is that now that I'm old and I've lived my life, all that I have, all that has been offered to me, all of that, it's vanity. It's vanity. Really what he's saying is that when it's all said and done, you can gain the whole world and still have nothing. Jesus says it in Matthew 6, 26, 16, 26, he says it this way. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
See, the broader point, without getting into all the analogies and metaphors that Solomon's using here in chapter 12, Solomon's saying that, that, hear me when I say this, that a reckoning with death leads to an abandoning, a, a focus on selfish achievement and pleasure, and now instead turning and seeking God. Let me, let me say it a different way. When you're coming to this place of understanding that you're going to die, it changes your focus from me to now I need to turn and seek what's after this. I need to learn about God. That's, that's what Solomon's saying here. And hear me, if we take anything from King Solomon, here's the truth. We will all die in here one day. I don't know about you, I'm going to die one day. We're all going to die. And the truth of the matter is, is that none of us probably will be as wise as King Solomon. We probably won't have as much money as King Solomon. And I can guarantee you, my men in here will never have as many women as Solomon. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And, and Solomon, even with all of that, he says, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. He ends and he says in verse 7, dust or our bodies return to the earth and our souls return to God. So the question we're left with is at the end of this life, will I be satisfied with how I lived my life? Which is a question we battle with every day, especially the Christian. Because we live in a world this, where the American dream is what we're told to live for. We're told to try to seek what Solomon had. We're told to live every day to the full and, and make it all about us. And Solomon's saying, no, no, it's all vanity. Trust me, I had it all, it's all vanity. But instead, now live in such a way where you always remember the Lord. Friends, hear me. When we live as one who understands that you should be dead, but instead Christ died for you through his death, if you believe you can experience life with all its freedoms, meaning free from, from, from shame and guilt, free from performance and pretending, trying to prove your worth. Family, when we truly understand that Christ gave it all up for us, it allows us to live as Solomon is urging us to in this passage. Not in a way that we're shackled, not in a way where we cannot do anything, but in a way where we're truly able to live life to the full. Because hear me, at the end of the day, you know why someone can achieve the world? We just talked about Tom Brady. You know why at the end of the day you can achieve the world and, and still say, it, it, and in, his, in Solomon's case, say it's vanity? You know why, why, why he could get to that place? Because anything done with any other attached motivation other than to give God glory for how good he's been to you, anything outside of that motivation is futile. It's like, it's like running on a hamster wheel trying to get someplace else. You're always going to keep coming back to the same place. And even if you get something else, it's never going to satisfy. You're always going to want more and more. You can keep striving for more and more and it never stops. Because the only thing that will truly satisfy you, the only one that will truly satisfy your deepest longing is Jesus. Some of y'all still don't believe me. Or Solomon for that matter. And so the Apostle Paul, another man who had 
pretty much everything. He, he had the titles. He had the status. He had all the knowledge. He says it a different way in Philippians 3, 8. Look at it with me. He says this. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Family, you know why two men of this stature, Paul and Solomon, could say something like this? You know why they could actually say that? Because I mean, here's the truth. When you truly understand, and I mean truly understand that God has been good to you. I mean, truly understand that if it had not been for God, you would be dead. If it had not been for God, you would not be married right now. If it had not been for God, you wouldn't have your job. If it had not been for God, you'd be locked in jail. You'd be strung out on the streets. If it had not been for God. See, when you truly understand that, friends, when we truly understand that without God and Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, we would have nothing. What happens is your motivation turns from what satisfies me to what satisfies God. It's a change. And here's the truth. I said it in the beginning. There's this God-shaped hole in your soul. And Solomon says it a different way. He says, remember your creator. After all I had, remember the Lord. He's essentially saying the same thing. Hear me. The reality is, is that when we live life in accordance to the word of God, it doesn't restrict us, but instead it, it frees and truly fulfills us. Now you can win a Super Bowl and be content. Now you can make money and not have it rule over you. Now you can be married to the one man or the one woman in your life and have joy, not look for something else. Now you can feel significant without trying to prove your significance. See, you can now live life truly the way God has intended you to. Some of y'all are still not with me on this. So let me, let, me, let me take you back to the Old Testament early on in Genesis because God points this out right here in the beginning of the Bible. When he puts Adam and Eve in the garden, they're naked. I say naked. I'm from Gary. I know y'all might say naked. <laughs> they're naked in the garden. God didn't put them in the garden without clothes on because he couldn't make clothes. By them sitting in the garden naked, they're unashamed. They're peaceful. They're free. They don't have a worry in the world because God is taking care of them. He's providing all their needs. He's protecting them. He's there with them. They're perfect peace with God. But as soon as they turn from God and they sin, they try to cover themselves with fig leaves. Notice that. They're not free anymore. They're now noticing their nakedness. In other words, they start noticing their inadequacies and instead of running to God, they hide themselves in fig leaves. Now don't miss this. The fig leaves are metaphoric for trying to figure out how to provide for yourself outside of God. Don't miss this. They went from being naked and unashamed with God, having everything they needed in the garden to now being ashamed 
and now covering themselves, noticing their, 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 their shortcomings without God. And friends, if we're honest this morning, if we're totally honest, that's us. That's many of us. Hiding ourselves in fig leaves. Trying to figure out life and which way to go based off our own strength, our own merit, without running to God first. And here's the truth, Sacred City. I need you all to hear me as we end. When we truly live with the understanding that I'm nothing apart from Christ, and all I have is rubbish, as Paul said, compared to knowing Christ, when we truly live with that understanding, there is freedom to live and cherish life the way it's meant to be, naked and unashamed. The Lord wants you to experience life to the full. But the only way we're able to do that is by believing in Jesus. All else is vanity. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that even when we get to the place where we're cherishing this life more than you, there's forgiveness. We thank you that you are a God who hung the stars in the sky, but yet you care about little old us. And God, we can run to you in our, with our problems and our needs. And Lord, I know there may be some hearts hurting this morning that are saying, that's me. I haven't been living my life according to how God has called me. And God, I, I pray that they would run to your loving arms right now and repent, saying, Father, I need you. Because you are an accepting Father that wants us back. You've been chasing after us for years, and you're still waiting for us to come home. So, Father, I pray that we would do that. I pray if there's folks in this place that are saying, I've been living for Jesus my life, but I got off track. I pray that they do the same thing and say, Father, I need you knowing that you're there, wanting them to come home. So God, I thank you for all that you've done and who you are. And as we come to the table this morning, what a great reminder to remember you, God, in communion as you did this with those that were closest to you at the end of your life, saying, remember me. Take this bread, which is my body, and take this cup, which symbolizes my blood, that's poured out for you, and remember me. Father, I pray as we come to the table this morning, is that, that that's exactly what we'll do. Remember you as Solomon said and remember you as you said. That we'll celebrate, but we'll also take time to remember, pray, repent, whatever we need to do right now. To walk humbly in your sight. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your glory, God. And Lord, let us live lives only for your sake and your sake alone. In Christ's name we said together, amen. Amen.